This is Sissy Jones, the voice of Fury in Darksiders 3. Be a dear, won't you? And listen to the Xbox expansion pass. You don't want to be on the receiving end of my whip. <laughs> now go. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 147 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, September 25th, 2022. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, there's plenty of good news to discuss, ranging from the announcement of EA Motive's Iron Man title to Satya Nadella's public statements on the Activision Blizzard deal that are both expressing confidence and perhaps throwing just a bit of shade. Beyond that, GTA 6 has finally leaked, and Cyberpunk 2077 lives again. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the words of kindness are extended to some old friends that I was finally able to rejoin in the content creation space, not realizing, by the way, how long it had been. Shout out to PTK, PTK Blam from the Shop Podcast inviting me on this past week. I was able to join him, Buzzy Belvedere, and Pong Sul of Living Split Screen uh, on the Shop. It was an absolute blast to get to talk to some old friends. It's funny sometimes in the content creation space, you... You interact with these people in social media spaces plenty, right? Uh, and then you realize, though, that you haven't had a vocal conversation with them in too long. Uh, it was really great to talk to them. Uh, I, I've just been uh, making a conscious effort as I've recovered from COVID to reach out and talk to people that uh, I've been missing for, for a good while. I miss David Whitaker. Shout out to him uh, from Level 1 Gaming. I know I want to have him on soon. Uh, we weren't able to make the schedules work this weekend, but I, I just... I'm doing doing my best to bring you guys content uh, in my post-COVID state. Now, I mean, you can always, obviously tell my voice is back, right? For the most part, I have lung capacity. Uh, can't exercise very well just yet. I've been trying to do some running and whatnot, uh, preparing for a 5K, and it's just it's just it's been tough. But I can speak, I can move around, I can coach, I can work, uh, and things are, are definitely on the up and up in terms of health, and that has allowed me to. Uh, have this renewed sense of energy to reach out to people that I care about, that I miss working with in content creation. Uh, and that's been really cool. So shout out to PTK Blam, The Shop Podcast, Fuzzy Belvedere, Pong Sul, uh, an extended shout out to, to David Whitaker, who I, I just I love over at Level One. And if here, here's one, here's one for you. If you're a content creator that uh, I've lost connection with or I haven't been able to catch up with uh, in recent weeks, please let me know uh, so I can rectify that. I've got a lot of content coming for XCP over the next few weeks, and uh, it's it'd be great to, to sit in with some of you guys and, and have you guys on XCP, vice versa, uh, for sure, for sure. Let me let me give a quick programming update, I guess. Um, because there is no interview this week, and I know some people get disappointed when that happens, uh, and, and I'm greatly offended, of course, because it's just me. And, no, I don't care. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be an interview show, right? But I have three interviews next weekend, right? I couldn't get anything to land in time for this episode, 
uh, due to European schedules. So it's a lot of time zone stuff. And uh, these interviews are, are two of them are AAA, one's an indie, and one of them I've been working on for months. And so if it goes through, that's great. But of course, I've made the mistake on this show of saying, hey, I'm talking to these people because I was setting it up. We were emailing, confirming everything, and then something happened. I mean, you know, we, we missed out getting the Steel Series and Turtle Beach people on despite having some good confirmations. And then, you know, through no fault of anybody, like internal schedules for them change, uh, personnel changes, that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm going to hold back on telling you guys who they are. Please don't over-speculate. Uh, Phil Spencer is not coming on next episode. I just want to be very clear. But it's people that I'm excited to talk to as I love talking to game creators. These are developers in this case. Um, and here's hoping they go through and everything works out because I love bringing you guys voices from the gaming industry. And, you know, as always, I'll ask, you know, who do you want to hear, right? Like, who would you like to have on the show? Sometimes it takes me a year to get somebody on. But, it, but I do my best to make it happen. And uh, as you guys rate the show, share the show, let bigger creators know about the show, and then let the people that you want to hear on the show uh, know, I suppose, through your social spaces and whatnot, that raises awareness. And then it's a cyclical effect, allowing me to speak to some of the most amazing people in the gaming industry. And that's how that's happened, right? Like I get so many people that are congratulating me at various points for talking to you know, Crystal Dynamics or talking to Seamus Blackley or Ed Freeze or, or whatnot. And that's really cool. But that's because you guys rate the show, share the show, raise awareness of it, right? It's because of that, that I'm able to get these people on. There's a, a cyclical effect in that. And so I am so grateful to you all. The congratulations are extended to you guys for that. Because um, It's just a feel good, right? That's how it works. That's just how it seems to happen. Someone knows someone that knows someone because of this or that. So, you know, that's my my big thing. I'm still working on uh, <laughs> I try not to ask people publicly on Twitter if they want to come on with the exception of Cliff Blazinski. I think that's my one that I'm like, hey, hey, Cliff, because I have been, I just can't seem to get up with him. That's the that's like a, one of my dream interviews, right, to get him on uh, just such a cool history in gaming ups and downs. And uh, I think there's a really cool humbleness about Cliff that I'd like to have him on now at this stage in his career but you know it's, it's it's it is it is what it is as the cool kids say all right let's take a moment and we got a lot of news well surprising no one more marvel games are being announced and i am ecstatic over it meanwhile my bitcast uh compatriots over from season gaming are lamenting more comic book games i am celebrating them and ironically uh ains put out almost the same thumbnail for bitcast so i'm gonna change mine around a little bit uh but yeah ea motive ea motive uh creators of games like star wars squadrons and the upcoming dead space remake uh they have announced officially that there is a new iron man game in pre-production this is super exciting they announced this over on twitter i think to get ahead of some leaks and some speculation that was that was popping about but super excited. The game's in very early development. This is the Montreal-based studio, uh, and it's being led by Oliver uh, Pruhl. And I'm uh, apologizing if I don't know the pr proper pronunciation for Oliver's name. Um, but he's worked on games like Guardians of the Galaxy, which is really exciting. Uh, and he brings in some veteran leadership from comic book games and some pretty successful AAA moments as well. Uh, super, super excited for this one. Now, officially, like one of the taglines they have on their website is, Developed in collaboration for Marvel Games, the game will feature an original narrative that taps into the rich history of Iron Man, channeling the complexity, charisma, and creative genius of Tony Stark, enabling players to feel what it's like to truly play as Iron Man. I'm stoked on that one. I feel like I've truly played as Iron Man twice now, 
first in Anthem and second in Avengers. They both have really good Iron Man flight controls uh, and a really good move set in their their different mechs that allow them to truly feel like Iron Man. Uh, for my take on this one, Anthem failed so that Iron Man could fly. I think when Anthem came around, the buzz about it was that it was an Iron Man simulator, and a lot of people just they they just got so excited. Uh, you know, next to the MCU, there was the Iron Man VR game on PSVR. There was a lot of interest in Avengers in playing as Iron Man. He's one of the most popular characters in that game. And uh, for all intents and purposes, and, and somebody did ask me to, to mention Avengers in this episode. They asked it comedically, but real talk, like as Babylon's Fall shuts down and as other live service games continue to struggle, even Marvel's game, Marvel games are shutting down in the mobile space, ones that are uh, were fairly popular. Avengers is still going strong two plus years later, right? They just celebrated their two year anniversary. They've got another two characters on the way, new villain sectors, new OLTs. Avengers is still going strong. And it's, it's an interesting thing, right? Because everybody predicted this game would die and it just has not. But to see EA Motive announcing a new Iron Man game, you have to think they're taking lessons from all of those projects, the good, the bad, uh, and really doing their best to, to nail what it's like to be Iron Man. For my take, it needs to be that you're on the ground, you run, and then you're up in the air, you're flying, you've got repulsors, your weapons feel like second nature in the suit. I mean, Anthem, to me, mastered that, and Avengers came close to mastering that. Um, but I'm really excited to see just what happens here. Uh, my hope is that it's a single-player endeavor and not a multiplayer experience. Uh, they've already come out and said that the Black Panther project, the Iron Man project, and the another, un, another unannounced project will not be in a shared universe. They will not have an MCU-style approach to storytelling. And I think that is good in this case because it's a bit freeing. They don't need to link up and prepare and perhaps delay elements of their game-making and bottleneck production uh, in order to align with another title, and that's really cool. I don't think that was inclusive of the Insomniac Marvel games, that is to say Spider-Man and Wolverine. Um, they've not mentioned, or I think there's no public confirmation as to whether or not those are going to be shared universes, but I'm all for more comic book games. I think we've had some good comic book games come out, some great comic book games come out, but they've been few and far between in the last few years. And I think that's true of AAA in general. But I like this. I think there is, there's uh, an interest in it and people are willing to pay for it, buy it and check it out. And in a world where we, we consume media game or games media so much faster, this is great news. Um, I don't think there's an oversaturation of, of comic book titles. I think it's been far too long since we got an Arkham game. I know Gotham Knights is on the horizon. I cannot wait for that. Suicide Squad next year. Uh, expansions coming to Avengers. Uh, we have Wolverine and Spider-Man 2 on the horizon as well. The Black Panther game. Um, I don't think there's any more on that front, but there's so many great, amazing characters that could be explored that happen to come from the comic book space that I'm anxious to see what they'll come up with. And moreover, and not for nothing, there's no requirement to play these games. These aren't coming at the expense of other titles. There's clearly a number of other AAA games that are coming out. And so if comic book games aren't your jam, that's fine. But to, for me to see an Iron Man game made by EA Motive, that is exciting to me. I think they've done a good job with fan service games in Star Wars Squadrons. I think you've got the right people there, given the, the Guardians of the Galaxy talent there. Um, I'm anxious to see just what happens. And a quick note on that shared universe element. There's a lot you can play around with with multiverse. 
um, that provides options should they later on want to retcon or change anything. Um, but I'm not a huge multiverse fan, whether it's DC, Marvel. Uh, I, don't, I don't really care. I don't really like the jumping between universes for fan service only. Um, the DC one makes me worry a little bit, the idea that Michael Keaton's Batman with Ben Affleck's. Now, I, I'm happy to see it. I want to see it because I love Michael Keaton. I love Ben Affleck, right? Um, I loved seeing my Spider-Man crossover. I love the potential there, but I don't think that should be the crutch on which all future content is laid. And I worry about that with Marvel's MCU Phase 4 and 5. Because um, phase four for me has really fallen flat in comparison to the others. And I worry about that for phase five. I don't want Mar multiverse for DC or Marvel to in any way be the crutch on which everything uh, leans on, if that makes sense. I don't mind it existing, but uh, so it goes there. EA Motive making a new Iron Game. Color me excited. It's a long ways away, but I think it's exciting to look forward to, uh, look forward to in general. Now, Satya Nadella, the leader of the Microsoft Trillion Dollar Machine, not a games person, not a gamer, the head of the table for Microsoft, uh, the, the, the one that so many people would look to as the leader of this trillion dollar company and outside, existing outside of a world where we might hear from Phil Spencer or Sarah Bond or, or Matt Booty. Satya Nadella is the top, of the top of the food chain when it comes to Microsoft. He has come out in an interview and addressed the Activision Blizzard King deal, uh, seemingly throwing some shade, though that might be a little too inflammatory uh, in some ways, but I don't think it is, towards Sony and stated very clearly that he believes this deal will go through. Um, uh, this looks to be a reaction to some of the more scrutinizing investigations by way of the EU and, and then uh, kind of piggybacking off of Jim Ryan's comments about uh, how detrimental it would be if Call of Duty goes exclusive. It would be inadequate and bad for the gaming industry in, in multiple ways. Satya Nadella came out and said uh, to, to Bloomberg and speaking with Bloomberg that Microsoft is either number four or number five in the gaming verse, depending on what metrics you use. Uh, in, a dip, in an industry where Sony Group is the leader in game, the gaming industry. Despite several re recent acquisitions by both companies, Sony is number one. And Microsoft, depending on your metrics, is either number four or number five. And the amazing quote that came out of this was, quote, so if this is about competition, let us have competition, end quote. And it was said so matter of fact, and if you go and you listen to it, it really feels uh, like he's you know hitting the hammer they're hitting the nail on the head with the hammer. That's a terrible way to say that. Uh, it's it's pretty interesting to see because Jim Ryan made a perfect and very wise attack on the ABK deal when he talked about it being inadequate, bad for the gaming industry. This this mega corp like uh, and, and mega franchise like Call of Duty going exclusive would be terrible. Despite assurances, mind you, that they would get three years of uh, non exclusivity that would take them all the way to 2027, which is an eternity in the gaming verse, uh, Jim Ryan casted doubt in a lot of people's minds that this would be a good thing for the gaming verse. He did so, uh, as I stated on previous episodes, perhaps a bit hypocritically given all the exclusivity deals that Sony locks down for third parties, Final Fantasy being the big one. He did this and it casted doubt upon lawmakers. It casted doubt in, doubts in the minds on uh, of those making the deal, scrutinizing the deal. And Microsoft did a good job in coming back and responding with, with something like this from Satya Nadella. What's so interesting about it is you have the leader of this trillion-dollar company noting very publicly that Sony is the leader. 
and that they themselves, this trillion dollar company, are are third, fourth, or even fifth, depending upon your metrics. And you have to think Nintendo's in there at number two, perhaps Valve, perhaps Tencent, perhaps Epic Games. There's a lot of ways to measure uh, just where Microsoft stands. And because they were so unsuccessful at, quote, winning the generation uh, in the Xbox One era, this has allowed them a lot of leeway. So it's amusing to me to watch Sony make acquisitions for Satya Nadella to point out those acquisitions and then think themselves, uh, you know, unscrutable, unscrutable, inscrutable, unable to be uh, up for scrutiny. I don't know how to say that one, uh, but they could they could make all these claims while still doing the exact thing they're upset for Microsoft for doing. And Microsoft is not the market leader. Mind you, they were outsold by a metric greater than two to one in the Xbox generate Xbox one generation by the PlayStation four. And it's really interesting to watch this stuff take place. Um, they did reiterate yet again that they are confident the $69 billion deal uh, will go through. I think the the those who are educated on this matter have said that this is expected to go through in June of 2023. And I, for one, believe that, given that, that it's a, such an ex, a high-profile deal with so much money behind it, you have to think they've done the research, they've got the lawyers, they've checked the stuff to make sure it could go through. And uh, I'm excited for that, truth be told, not because I've, I care about Call of Duty exclusivity, but rather because I care about all those IP that have been languishing under the current Activision Blizzard leadership. Um, I care very little for Bobby, Bobby Kotick's Golden Parachute. Uh, rich white guys have found a way to stay rich and empower and corrupt the system forever. And if I worried about every single one of them, I would just fall into a deep depression. I'm anxious to see Bobby Kotick gone so that the culture can continue to improve because while he is not the only negative toxic person there he is the metaphor the figurehead the scapegoat for so much of it and with him gone there's a symbolic sigh of relief and people will be able to heal and repair and as a result of that the talent will come come back and that's what i look forward to once this deal goes through for sure uh, but bottom line satya nadella man if this is about competition, let us have a competition. Boom, I love that. Also, if you're willing to spend $69 billion, you should be able to do what you want, right? I think it was Ryan McCaffrey that said that on a recent Unlocked. Like, I mean, that's capitalism right there. Like, let's see it go. And for the same token, like Sony, I mean, they locked down my, my one of my favorite heroes in Spider-Man. Uh, they made a great game, but like, they paid for it. They did it. They got the job done. The capitalism, right? Now, I held off talking about this topic last week with Jeff Grubb. He briefly mentioned it, uh, and, and I didn't really kind of call him on it. Um, GTA 6 has been leaked by a hacker. That hacker has since been arrested, I believe. Uh, it was a teenager hoping to extort uh, Rockstar if, on, on the... Let's see. Let's go back, and we're going to look at the timeline uh, here. There was a hacker around the 19th of September that had information and and builds of gta 6 leaked a bunch of footage from grand theft auto 6 uh several days later by september 23rd that hacker had been arrested turns out it was a uk teenager uh and he was responsible for so much of it he was trying to extort rockstar get money out of them uh under threat of them of him leaking more of that source code which would have been hugely detrimental to the people working at gta 6 and a lot of people were up in arms 
and so sorry and feeling terrible for the devs because it wasn't devs because it wasn't able to be released on their own terms and i certainly subscribe to that mentality however i don't think this leak was nearly as negative as some would put it because we saw an amazing industry reaction to it to see all this pre-alpha footage and people you know lamenting how bad it looked and how uh unevolved it was from the current gta 5 other studios, Rare included with Sea of Thieves and so many others, started sharing their alpha builds of their games that went on to win numerous awards. Sea of Thieves and Control being the standouts in my mind. Control winning multiple awards for best graphics, best game, game of the year, etc. They were showing their early alpha builds, and it looks nothing like the game uh, that you ended up playing when it, when it came out. Naughty Dog did this as well with The Last of Us, and they shared just what their game looked like in alpha versus uh, the final released product. And I think it was a really cool reminder that game makers are magic uh, or they're magicians, I should say. And they do just a fantastic job at creating these worlds we get to delve into. And it was just really neat to see the reaction and not for nothing. Everybody knew GTA six was in development. We all knew that it was going to have some protagonists that were a little bit different. It was going to have, you know, guns and driving and shooting and fighting and, Uh, probably swearing and sex and everything that comes with being a GTA game. I don't think anything was truly lost on this one. I know some of the story uh, was leaked to a little bit. You're going to have the ability to play as a female protagonist or a male protagonist. Okay. I mean, I I, I just ruined that for all of you. And yet somehow I need you to find a way to enjoy GTA 6, right? So it sucks that the the, the moment uh, of choice was taken from the developers on some some of these things. But in truth, the damage done, thanks to the quick arrest and the reaction by the industry, I think was very minimal. And in fact, might have helped Rockstar and GTA 6. I will say, because this is an interesting thing that has come up, um, particularly after having Jeff Grubb on last week, because we got a lot of attention on last week's episode. And if you're a new listener, what's up? Jeff Grubb got a lot of attention uh, because he had internal documents from Microsoft from 2020 from three years ago that slated the release schedule for 2023. Those are old. They're outdated. He said as much. And yet some people were taking that as gospel, even though he's bluntly said like, this is old news. This is old information. This is this, this is that. I think there's a big difference between leaks in the way that this hacker has done it versus a journalist reporting on the news. And there's a blurred line there, right? It's not always going to be black and white here and there. Jason Trier has come out and addressed this as have a number of journalists but reporting on news is not the same as leaking information. They are sometimes in overlap. They are sometimes in conflict, but they are not the same. They are not synonymous. And so I think there's a there, there's something to be said in a conversation to be had there. Not one that I'm going to have solo because I think it's important to bounce ideas off. I mean, Jeff, has, in, in our own conversation, you can hear the inflection changes in his voice at various times as he adjusts his opinion and discusses uh, just that at various points. And I really want to have a conversation with somebody before I just throw out my ideas on this one because they're not set in stone. This isn't one that I'm confident in, uh, whether or not people should be leaking, not leaking. But I'll say this. Uh, the repercussions of the Rockstar leak we're gonna, are going to have uh, ramifications on the idea of work from home, remote work versus being in the office because of security concerns. And that sucks. 
that sucks because I think the last few years have taught us that mental health can be improved by working at home if done in the right conditions, if done in good remote work. Uh, and game development can be altered thanks to work from home. We've seen a number of remote studios that, that build incredible games. Moon Studios did this uh, for the Ori franchise, minus the two douchebag leaders that are now out. Um, they were they were bad guys. We don't like them. However, uh, Jeremy Gritton, who came on the show, love him. He was cool. He was real cool. All right, so that's it on GTA 6. One other small thing, Deathloop is now out on Xbox. If you haven't played Deathloop, it's available to you. I have not touched Deathloop yet. I have a pretty tepid interest at the moment. I will be playing it thanks to Game Pass. Um, Bethesda shooters uh, and Bethesda games are very hit and miss for me. I love Doom. I really like Wolfenstein, but they all, the rest are kind of like, yeah, I'm not sure. Just something about them. But I am interested in playing Deathloop by way of Game Pass. Uh, I'm going to do that at some point. I've got a few other things on my list. I want to try Solstice ahead of uh, some content I'm hoping to bring you guys for that one. Uh, I've got that game. I'm, I'm anxious to play it. It looks like a really fun, like, uh, Devil May Cry-esque shooter. Or not shooter, I'm sorry, uh, title, like action game. So I'm anxious to play that one. But the problem is I, apparently, like so many others, have been captured and enraptured by the world of Cyberpunk 2077. Now, what's really interesting about this is I wanted to play Cyberpunk 2077 not because of the new Netflix show, not because of anything other than my time and my schedule has changed, so I'm not playing multiplayer games with Mr. Bad Bit, my buddy Kev, my buddy Charles, my buddy Suddy. I'm not playing multiplayer as much because my schedule doesn't allow it or I'm too burned out to talk when I get home. So I, was, I needed a single-player game, and it was just time to jump in patch 1.5 and 1.6 for cyberpunk had come out really changed and fixed the game in so many ways and of course i've got a series x that i'm playing it on that was why i jumped in but apparently <laughs> everybody else has had a reason to jump into cyberpunk as well uh for seven out of seven days and this is according to benji sales reporting who i desperately want to have on the show he reported over on his Twitter feed just a few minutes prior to me recording that for the past seven days, the consecutive players on Cyberpunk 2077 has grown from one day to the next. It's been the number one selling game with a daily peak concurrent players first beginning on Monday at 78,000, then Tuesday, 83,000, Wednesday, 86,000, Thursday, 89,000, Friday, 97,000, Saturday, 122,000. And today on the day of recording, at the time of this recording, over 136,000 concurrent players on Steam alone are playing Cyberpunk 2077. This passes the all-time Steam concurrent players for The Witcher 3, which topped out at 103,000. So by a huge margin of 30,000 players, more people are in the world of Cyberpunk concurrently, a single-player game, than had ever been in CDPR's best game of The Witcher 3, which really, really is wild given two years have passed since the launch of Cyberpunk, the incredibly bad PR that came, the disaster of a launch, and yes, it was a disaster of a launch. Uh, Ainsley Bowden and I consistently butt heads on this one, but I, I, I stand firm in the idea that if Sony had to stop selling it on their store, while Black Tiger could exist on their store, they stopped selling it digitally, Microsoft had to change their return policy for CDPR and Cyberpunk specifically for unquestionable refunds. It was a disaster of a launch. It ran terribly on previous generation hardware. It was riddled with bugs on current gen. Uh, and it, there's so much documented proof 
uh, of the, of this that I just am flabbergasted when anyone comes to the defense of it, uh, including my friends. It's just wild how bad that launch was and how bad the PR surrounding uh, Cyberpunk was at the time and the terrible messaging and the taking advantage of players by CD Projekt Red. The leadership really, uh, really did a bad job. They lied to players. They lied to gamers. They lied to customers. And the game still sold incredibly, even with the refunds. Like the refunds were were a pretty small percentage of those that purchased it. Um, I was part of that refund group, mind you. Uh, and I later repurchased it once the 1.5 patch came out. And now I'm playing it with 1.6. And I got to tell you, the game's incredible now. I'm absolutely loving it. I'm 50 hours into this game. There's so much more to do, so much more to explore. I am loving the world of Cyberpunk 2077. And I am not one for punk games, steampunk, cyberpunk. That's not my my jam. Furthermore, it's a first-person uh, action RPG style game. I prefer third-person games, and still I am loving Cyberpunk 2077. If you're on the fence, there's a reason this game is resurging, uh, and it's not just Netflix's uh, edge runners. The game is just so much more playable now. I'm still seeing bugs on a Series X here and there, but nothing detrimental to the game. Uh, on a couple, of a couple occasions, every character in the game for me will flicker, and I'll just need to exit out. Uh, reload my save and I'm good to go. It's got a great autosave feature, cross save, cross progression functionality between platforms. Fantastic. A number of different things, including transmog, uh, has been built in for free. So you can have gear that levels up your character and still look the way you want, which to me is a huge and important thing, despite being first person. Uh, the writing is incredible and something that that the writing and the performances by the characters were always great right like that was going to be great from day one regardless of bugs regardless of bad performances in terms of hardware what these actors and writers did was was phenomenal but allowing or rather i should say seeing it in this this latest patch and seeing it so playable is just incredible really enjoying keanu reeves's performance uh, i'm loving this game it's fantastic i don't think it's god's gift to gaming i don't think it's jesus uh in the, or, or buddha or anything that's so special in this world of gaming i don't think it revolutionizes anything um i think a, i think cdpr's witcher 3 was transformative for the industry i think god of war 2018 was transformative for the industry Perhaps the Arkham games were transformative in their time. Halo 2 was transformative in its time. Modern Warfare 4, transformative in its time. Um, I don't get that vibe from Cyberpunk. What I get is just a fantastic video game that everyone should give a chance to. So that is that is how I'm taking it, uh, for sure. And, and I'm just so happy for the team that still exists within CDPR that they went through so much turmoil, so much frustration, some deserved, but for the developers outside of the leadership team, not deserved uh that now they're getting to enjoy the and reap the benefits of their success and people are finally enjoying this world because it was broken or hampered or limited at launch and now it's really uh establishing its its true potential and that's awesome also uh this this question came in from jam pack sam what are your thoughts on cyberpunk's phantom liberty expansion being exclusive to next gen sam uh shout out to him amazing podcast on exhibition uh, he is alluding to the fact that we have now two years after launch, the first expansion, perhaps only expansion for Cyberpunk 2077 has been announced called Phantom Liberty taking place uh, in within the Cyberpunk 2077 story uh, with the new United States of America, Keanu Reeves returning. Really excited for this. 
what do I think about it being exclusive to now current gen, the PlayStation 5 and the Series S and X? I think it's fantastic. I think it's time for PlayStation 4 and, PlayStation, and Xbox One to fade to background, time to go, sunset them. Uh, it's time for them to to be done, right? It's been three years. I think people are... Uh, for for games like this that are demanding the best performances uh, and trying to do something that is so spectacular as what they're trying to do, I think it's great that we're now seeing current-gen exclusive games. Let the past die. Kill it if you have to. Uh, it's time for them to go, right? It's time for them to go. I hate for anybody that hasn't been able to upgrade or can't upgrade or for whatever reason, they're just not able to experience a PlayStation 5 or Xbox Series S or X. Um, that sucks, and that is part of generational gaming. Uh, I think Xbox has a number of built-in protectors to that, by the way, with forward compatibility. If you've bought the game digitally on your Xbox One, when you upgrade to Series S or X, your game is still there. Uh, I think they have the cloud for you to play a lot of these titles in, which is really great. Uh, how many people enjoyed and tried out Microsoft Flight Simulator without downloading it? How often can you uh, play games on your Xbox One that are next gen because of cloud streaming and latency avoidability and that's really cool there are options built there for you but it is okay to let these old systems pass on and enjoy backward compatibility for the titles that were there but you do need to upgrade your hardware from time to time and not for nothing it's been stated even recently uh, in the wake of psvr 2's announcement it's been stated even recently that what the playstation 5 and the series x and s do for current gen gaming is is really impressive next to their PC counterparts for the money. And so let these games become current-gen only. We must let go of the Xbox One and the PlayStation 4 at some point. And I think uh, I'm really glad to see a lot of new AAA games doing just that. I think that's that's a great thing. Um, I do love, that, by the way, that for two years we had this cross-gen release. I think that's important. But how... But I think it hurt other games. I'm thinking about Halo Infinite, right? I think that game was hurt by it. Cyberpunk was certainly hurt by it. Um, I understand the business ethics and I understand the, the financial elements to it, but I am glad that this expansion is current-gen only and we're leaving the old stuff behind and I hope more games do that. And I, I recognize it's from a point of privilege because I have these systems. I have the financial ability to get these systems and I've had the good fortune to find them in a world where it's difficult to find, but... How how long ago did they come out? Right, we're approaching the two year anniversary. That's a, that's a good gap. That's a good gap, and I think it's time to move on. So take that for what you will. Let's move on to some listener mail. I know we just heard from Jam Pack Sam, and then I want to address two other questions. Actually, it's like five other questions, but I lumped some together. First one comes from Scoop Jessica. What's up, Jessica? Shout out to you. Love seeing you in the Player One podcast chat rooms. I'm often lurking there because I love those guys so much. Same with Ben Rivers streams. I, I lurk Ben's streams a lot, uh, but I don't talk much. Um, he says, she said, she says, are you typically a sit and play games after work person? Or has there ever been something that you've been so engrossed in with that you wake up early and sneak a few minutes before work? Um, Jessica, I actually do a lot of gaming before work. I will get up very early prior to work because that's when I'm the most fresh and I need to let my sleep meds kind of wear off before I go into work and be professional. And I love gaming in the morning. It's quiet. It's calm. Nobody's bothering you to play multiplayer. Uh, and so I do a lot of gaming in the morning. Uh, sit and play games after work. I'm that meme where you get home, you're real tired and you try to play a game and you fall asleep. So what I do, I come home, I rest a bit. I 
watch TV with my wife, eat, shut my eyes for maybe 10, 15 minutes, and then I can go play. Um, but even then, sometimes it's just not in the cards to play after work, especially not in my current state. Job's not going so well. Um, teachers really being mistreated in my environment at the moment. And uh, I've got too much on my plate. I think I have five roles outside of teaching my classroom that I'm being asked to perform at. And that is just, it's really wearing. So I don't do a lot of gaming after work at the moment um, at the expense of sleep. So that's kind of what's been going on there. Plus, mind you, I had COVID. So like there's an element to that, sure. All right. So Hypecaster, the Muffinmon, and Rune Telvik all wrote in with questions pertaining to uh, the Japanese market for Xbox, which is a great topic given the wake of um, the Tokyo Game Show and Xbox's presence there that was rather muted next to the other performances by Sony and Nintendo. And uh, gosh, there was one other one that, that was there, whatever it was. Maybe it was Ubisoft. Uh, so let's go with Hypecasters first. He says, you are in charge. You give a 30-second elevator pitch to the board explaining your strategy for the huge to make a huge gain in the Japanese-Asian market. Go. Uh, and this will address a bit of, of Kevin's uh, Muffin Mon's response and Telvik's response. Here's my 30 second take. Microsoft is already doing a great job with what they've got in the Japanese and Asian market approach. There is no silver bullet approach that so many of us in the podcasting world, the gaming world, the executive world would like to see. Rather, instead, they're chipping away at the giant with nicks and cuts. And that's the right way for Xbox to go about entering into this market. They've tried the direct approach, the Blue Dragon approach, where they have the silver bullets. They 99 nights were like, hey, Look at what we've got here. Japanese gamers love us, and that's just not effective. It's been proven time and again that in order for Microsoft to be successful, they need to do it with a nix and cut approach. And they're doing that by way of xCloud, by way of Xbox Game Pass. Ways for gamers in these uh, really high-speed internet areas throughout the Asian market, not just limiting to Japan, but also South America and parts of India. They're doing a good job at saying, hey, you want to play games. We've got ways for you to play games without having new hardware. Try out Xbox Game Pass. Try out uh, the cloud. By the way, we're working with Japanese developers. That's pretty cool too. Uh, go check this out. And so now you've got gamers that don't need to adopt new hardware. They simply need a login and a subscription. And suddenly, they're part of the Xbox ecosystem. Microsoft, I said this on the Shop Podcast, Microsoft will never win Japan. They are never going to win Japan in the way that Japan was won and lost so many years ago. Instead, what's going to happen is they're going to up their engagement, be a part of this market. Unit sales are gone because there's so many ways to access Xbox Game Pass, Game Pass for PC, xCloud on your mobile device, touch controls on your tablet. You can play Xbox games without buying a single bit of hardware. And that is what Microsoft's strategy is appropriately to be in the Japanese or Asian markets. That's what it should be. Uh, they provide hardware if you wanted it there, but really... They want people engaged. So unit sales, the winning of the generation in terms of, of sales, that is gone. There's no need to consider that anymore. Xbox will never outsell Sony or Nintendo in terms of hardware, nor are they trying to. In fact, it's very obvious that Microsoft is trying to be an application via their Xbox, and it's something you log into, access your ecosystem on any device. For God's sakes, they're making a Samsung app, right? They're working on the, the, the much-reported-on Puck, the Fire Stick equivalent. They want you to log in on your phone and play games with touch controls, and they don't suck. That's Microsoft's strategy for the Asian market, and I think that answers uh, Hypecaster and Muffinmon's uh, questions about the Japanese market. I'm not really a JRPG fan. I don't have a good barometer for what good Japanese-made games are. 
um, I just tend to skew Western in a lot of my preferences. And so I apologize that I just don't have the answers on that front. Rune had written in asking about Octopath Traveler 2 not coming to Xbox as far as we know at the moment uh, when the first one is already on Game Pass. That's just a marketing deal. Dude, it really could come at any point. Um, but Square Enix and, and whatnot, they're, they're in bed with Sony, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's capitalism. We shouldn't be mad at that. These are people making deals. You want to be mad? Be mad at Xbox for not throwing down the money to outbid Sony. Um, so it goes. So it goes. All right, guys. I really enjoyed this solo episode. I hope you all did. I have loved just having a chat with you. I've got several interviews on the docket in the weeks to come, provided they are done. They're not recorded at this point, so I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Please take a moment to like, share, subscribe, rate it on iTunes or Spotify. I'm seeing some of these other podcasts. Ugh, trophy room. Uh, getting all these ratings. I would love to be in that category with you guys, trying to get to you know different metrics there. I've got giveaways ready for those when those metrics hit. That's it for me. Find me on Twitter at InsipidGhost. Take care, everyone.